100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, happy 4th of July and welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Henry Ferguson of the Colorado Bow Hunters Association. When you think of Henry, you should think of big mule deer bucks. Henry breaks down his unique strategy for scouting, finding, and consistently being successful on giant bucks, as well as some stories with lessons uh, anyone can learn from. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming in from Gabe Heft out of Arkansas. So Gabe wrote in, Hey, Bo, thanks for the great podcast. You do good work, and I thoroughly enjoy listening to you on Spotify. This was my second year hunting this buck. I finally connected on January 21st, and after running about 10 cameras trying to locate where he was bedding, I accidentally stumbled across a shed of his from last year. It told me the drainage he was in, and after a long and nerve-wracking gun season, I got pics of him. There were other guys that knew about him, but they were only gun hunting for the most part. I knew if he survived the gun season, I had a chance at him for the next year. On the morning of the 21st, I went to a spot I'd never hunted at the head of a drainage I felt that he was living in. And at 10.18 a.m., he walked straight to my tree, and I shot him at 14 yards, and he made it out to about 80 before piling up in sight. My first truly mature mountain buck, my first deer out of a saddle, and my biggest deer to date, bow or rifle. I took him to the Arkansas Big Buck Classic in Little Rock and won first place for the latest deer entered in Newton County for the 2022-2023 season. Keep up the great work. Even rednecks in Arkansas enjoy your content. Well, thanks, Gabe. That is awesome. And, and, uh, I appreciate the the kind words about the podcast there, but anyone listening, I mean, you need to, you need to really go check out the photos of this deer, uh, over at East meets West hunt on Instagram or East meets West outdoors on Facebook. He's just an absolute hammer. I mean, so he's mainframe. I'm looking at the picture right now. He's a mainframe eight with giant mule deer split G2 on the one side and just an absolute tank of a deer. Uh, so it's just, it's a pretty cool looking, uh, photo too. You can see the backdrop. You can tell he's in some steep country there and, uh, just, uh, a well-earned buck for Gabe there, man. I just, uh, congratulations on that. I hope that you're able to repeat again this year because that is, uh, pretty phenomenal. So if anybody has a mountain buck Monday story, you want to send in there, have got a lot of new listeners here recently. So the reason why I'm sharing this on Tuesday is because mountain buck Monday, the posts and everything goes out on Instagram, Facebook on Mondays. And then I share the stories on the podcast on Tuesday. But if you have a successful mountain buck story, send it in to my email, bowatistmeetswesthunt.com, just a short paragraph or two. And uh, a few pictures if you have some good ones to be able to send in or just I don't know why I said good ones but <laughs> if you have any pictures that that go along with it they don't have to be a uh, uh, professional photographer grade but send them in and I would love to to be able to share that on the podcast uh, in other news I just wanted to say that the prime bow giveaway has ended but I am recording this prior to that time frame, so I will announce the winner on next week's podcast, but probably in between, you will get an email. So if you're entered in, uh, signed up for the newsletter, email newsletter, you'll get an email uh, with 
with the winner's name in it and everything, and then just reach out from there. But then I'll then I said I'll announce it on the podcast as well. So really looking forward to getting a Prime Rev X2 sent out into somebody's hands. So that'll be a uh, pretty awesome. Other than that, I don't really have anything to share. Just uh, getting a bunch of cameras out in the woods and uh, trying to trying to get on top of things here and and keep uh, keep on the search, finding some bucks, seeing who I made it through last season and. And, uh, yeah, just a bunch of that going on. So with that being said, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode with Henry as I've been really looking forward to doing this. So have a great rest of your week. All right. We're live. Henry Ferguson, welcome to the podcast. How you doing, Bo? I'm good. How about yourself? Good. This one's been a little while coming, huh? I know. I know. I, I, I feel like it's been like that with the last couple of guests that I've had. Like, it'll be something where, like, for you, I, I met, well, Clint Casper, our mutual friend, has been mm-hmm. telling me, he's like, you got to get Henry on. He's been telling me that for years, but I like to get to have some sort of a, you know, meet them a little bit or have some sort of introduction. We happened to be at Total Archery Challenge together in yeah. Colorado last year. Yep. And, I, and after I got that, we, we spent, I don't know, felt like a couple hours talking stories and everything. I was like, I need to get you on. And then the schedules, uh, just kind of got busy towards the end of summer there. And we couldn't link up yep. at the event. I've, I've come to learn that at those events, it's really difficult to like pull away when you have other obligations to go and like do a podcast or, or do whatever. So, but anyways, long story short, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I'm ex- I'm excited to be able to have you on. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I'm always always down to talk hunting. That's a, never something that I struggle to find the time for. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 great because I, I I text or I messaged you kind of short notice where I was just like, hey, what's your schedule look like this time of year? You're like, mornings are good, good, and I'm like, what about like I think it's like couple days you're like yeah let's do it i'm like perfect (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah no it's uh we've got a lot going on this time of year but you know you you just kind of you just kind of roll with it and make your way through so that's why i find early mornings are kind of my time that i can make something happen and and as it turns out i'm usually going on hikes early mornings this time of year Mm -hmm. um or hitting the archery range but uh as it turns out, this rain that has just not stopped for us, it just poured rain last night. So the trails are going to be a total mud hole today anyway. So this was perfect timing. <laughs> well, why don't you send some of that rain out here? Because at the time of recording this, the beginning of June here, we haven't had rain in like almost a month. And it's it's really it's really bad as far That's as crazy. like everything's just so dry. And, uh, you know, selfishly, I mean, the, the farmers really have to deal with the the brunt of it, but selfishly yeah. I'm looking at antler growth and I, and I need, I need some of these, I need these browse sources to be luscious and green and have everything ready. Relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at, I view the whole world through a hunting lens as well, Bo. So <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of weird because we're usually in that, in that mode. I mean, you know, it usually starts to look pretty arid and brown out here within another week or two out, you know, here in Colorado. And my gosh, it looks like Ireland right now. It's just so lush and green. I mean, I took a picture of a deer yesterday and I, I legitimately thought we, my wife and I were going for a a hike at a park pretty near our house. And as we were driving out there, I see this buck 
And I thought he was bedded because he was just barely, you know, you could just barely see his head and antlers above the grass. I'm like, oh, he's bedded out there. So I grabbed my phone to take a picture. And that's what he took a couple steps. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that grass is so high. He's not bedded. He's standing out there. So, yeah, it was it's pretty wild. That's a it's a unique thing for us. And, you know, we'll uh, we've had we've had several years of pretty bad drought. So we'll take it. And uh, everybody downstream from us will take it. You know, Lake Powell, Lake Mead, Southern California. I mean, we we send a we're kind of the headwaters for for a lot of lot of people's water sources. Yeah. What what? So, so talking about it, you know, not worrying about people, but lo- thinking about the hunting perspective. What does that do uh, for this fall with you guys having so much water? Well, I'm sure hoping it means that all those little bucks that I saw last year get all the nutrients they need, and they just explode this year because last year was bleak, man. It, it, it was legitimately, it, it was one of the worst years I've ever seen for antler development. I mean, I've hunted the same general area and a couple of, you know, in a group of a couple of different units there off and on for close for actually 20 years. And it was the worst antler development I've ever seen. And so that was, that was super frustrating for me. I mean, you know, putting, you put in the time, you get up early in the morning, go scouting and when I say get up early, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm up at two thirty, three o'clock to go get out there, get up on the mountain and start scouting. And I, I, we just couldn't, we just couldn't find a decent buck. It was a, it was super frustrating. Yeah. So, no, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, we see that same type of thing with, you know, out here in the East, even with whitetails and everything like the, the deer that that I'm hunting in Pennsylvania in the big woods, it's like they they rely on that browse. Like that's what what they are. There's no fields around. There's no food plots. There's no Same crops. Here. It's just like it's kind of similar to you know similar but different. But as far as like the mule deer that that you're you know focusing on in the West, and it's like water. You know, having precipitation, like having a wet summer, kind of sucks as far as outdoor plans. But I look forward to what the fall looks like once uh once that yeah. happens well and it, you know in the areas i'm hunting there's no agriculture well i mean it is colorado there's probably some jackass with a weed grow out there but that's if, if you want to consider that a food plot or you know <laughs> I, I mean i've heard it called hippie lettuce so maybe that would be kind of a food plot but yeah. uh but that's that's it man i mean there's no there's no ag there's not none of that in the areas that i'm hunting so so yeah same deal if, if it's not growing if mother nature's not growing it out there they're not eating it yeah so well, yeah, it's we're pretty pretty moisture dependent. Well, I know last year when I hunted Montana and I spent uh, three weeks out there hunting elk, it was super dry. Like the beginning of the the hunt, it was a hundred and some degrees. There was no water anywhere except for these cattle tanks, and that's kind of like where the water sources and a few small spring seeps that I ended up finding. But one, it was difficult for me personally to, to be able to get water, but it was also, yeah. you know, that's where the elk kind of had to be. Uh, the, 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 the drawback to that was 
you know, any other people that knew the areas also knew where those water sources were and they you had, bet. they had tree stands, um, packed back in there, you know, that were hung oh, over yeah. the, any, all, the wallows or any of those tanks. Like it was, uh, it was, it, it made it, made it kind of difficult. I mean, I think it wasn't until, I don't know, it was like 15, 16 days into the hunt before we got any rain. And, uh, it was just like, it was ridiculous how dry it was. Yeah. And it's, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, I don't have a, a ton of evidence from, you know, like watching bucks year to year to year and chart and antler growth, but, um, I have some anecdotal evidence of it. And like a buck that I shot in 2020, that was as dry. That was a, another super dry year. We've had, like I said, we've had a few years in a row of, of pretty bad drought. 2021 wasn't quite as bad. Um, but 2020 was bad and I had been watching this buck since 2018. And when I first spotted him, he was a good four by four, you know, he was obviously pretty young, but he was a, he was a good, a good four by four, decent mass, big, deep forks and real narrow. And this buck, I, I mean, I've never seen anything like him. He just, he just stayed on this one ridge line, and he was the most predictable deer I, I think I've ever seen. Um, and so, so anyway, it was kind of funny because I, in 2019, I, I, I watched, I watched him in 2018 and I'm like, man, that buck has got a ton of potential. If he puts on a little width, that buck could be really something special. Well, 2019, I came back in there and sure enough, same hillside, feeding out there and i mean he was he was always the latest buck up feeding and he was almost always by himself so i'm like man if i ever get an opportunity at this deer i like my chances you know those those loner bucks those solo bucks are are so much more vulnerable without having all their buddies there as as backup you know yeah so i sat there watching this buck and watching this buck and 2019, I, I found another buck that I, I, I like just a little more. And I, I kept thinking, boy, he's, he's got that potential and I'm, I'm going to give him another year. And, and, and by the way, me giving him another year is, is for the most part pointless because, you know, I'm hunting public land just because I gave him another year. doesn't mean the first guy who sees him in muzzleloader season or second or third or fourth rifle season isn't going to go, Oh my gosh. And just yeah. shoot him. But so anyway, 2019, he, he looked real good. And then 2020 was another just real bad drought year. There was, there was just nothing with any sort of size. And so I went back in there looking for that buck and he just, he put on a ton of mass that year but never got the width. I mean, he was, I think he was 21, 22 inches wide, um, but never put on the width. He was a nice tall buck, deep forks, but just a, a lot of mass. He was like 40, 40 and a half inches of mass. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, but yeah, it's these bucks, you watch them from year to year. And I, I still believe, in fact, I know that he, he was bigger in 2019. I should have shot him that year. But I just kept thinking, man, next year, next year. And when I got him aged, he, he turned, he was six and a half years old. So okay, yeah, he's a good mature buck. And I, I don't, I, honestly, I don't know that had I left him, 
Well, first of all, I'm, I'm positive that had I left that bucket, I passed him, he was going to get shot. So, but you know, it's, it's kind of the game you play. I mean, it's, it's a risk reward thing. And, um, but yeah, never did get that width that I was hoping for, but he, he ended up, he ended up grossing 182. So, I mean, he was a good deer, a real good deer, but just who knows what could have been had he had a, a couple decent moisture cycles somewhere in his life, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I know, I, I know that buck from just seeing it on your Instagram and it's one of the, it's one of the most unique mule deer that I've seen in a while. Like, you know, I don't know, traditional mule deer, they start to go kind of wider as they get older and bigger and yeah. big forks. And he's just like, he looks, he just, just went like this. T- tight and goes straight <laughs> up and just like gnarly mass to him the yeah. whole way through. Like that's such a cool, a cool buck with that kind of character. It was pretty funny because one of our uh, one of my friends Isaac uh, Isaac Oliman he uh, he's a big mule deer guy and he stopped by it on his way um, to a hunt here two years ago and he saw that buck on the wall and he goes my gosh dude pictures do that buck no justice whatsoever so it's just one of those deer that you know even on the wall I moved we have to we're in a, a constant like Jenga game of, of moving or Tetris or whatever, moving antlers around the front room. Cause we're little full, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we were, um, we, I moved the deer and the new spot he's hung in. You've got to look at it from like one angle to really appreciate what he is. And so, you know, you know, it's funny. Like I've always like my, my goal at some point is like, I want a house where I have big ceilings so I can put mounts up there. Like that's my number one thing that I want in a house. I don't care about anything else. But then I, sometimes I see that and like my uncle has that and it's like, you can't get the full view of what these deer are when they're up high and you're looking at it. It's like, that makes it kind of, kind of harder. Right now. What I I want. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say right now I'm, I was kind of redoing my office and figuring out how I wanted to, to put it up so I don't have anything on the wall. And then in my living room, I tried not to make it look like a, you know, Smithsonian with deer heads and all this stuff all over. So like my basement just stacked with mounts and stuff, just sitting there on chairs and tables. Yeah. And I'm like, I got to figure out what to do with these things and, and to, to be able to really appreciate them and uh, be able to put them there. But I, I know what you mean as far as like some of those deer, there's, there's a, a white tail I shot in 2009. He was nine and a half years old, but he was only 13 inches wide and wow. it's gnarly mass and narrow and tall, tall rack, but kind of reminded me of that from a white tails perspective. And he's like, you just have to see him to get the appreciation yeah. you see a picture of yeah. it, it's like okay you know, it's a nice buck but it's like when you just see this you know big heavy just narrow kind of looking deer but it's it's a cool it's it's got those those features that you got to see in person to be able to appreciate exactly and that's what and that's why you know getting back to that whole vaulted ceiling thing we've got vaulted ceilings in that in our front room and it's you know pretty much lined with antlers but between myself, my wife and my son all hunting. I mean, you know, we, we do pretty well and we, we put a, we put a few of them up there, but my, (laughs) my dream trophy room now would have like 10 foot ceilings at most. And, but it would just be long. 
So you could, you know, you can put a lot of stuff on there because I've got a buck that's like you're saying, you know, I shot a buck with my rifle in, in 2017. I mean, the absolute, uh, if I had to name that deer, I'd call him the dumb luck buck. Cause that's exactly what it was for me. Um, I was having a little tiny chunk of private and which is really unique for me because everything I hunt is public. And so I was hunting this little tiny chunk of private in this other spot. And I, I, I told my wife at the beginning of it, I said, you know, and it was a rifle tag and I, dude, I had to borrow a rifle. I mean, I'm, I'm a bow hunter, man. <laughs> I, had to, <laughs> I had to borrow a rifle and figure that out and figure out what a turret was and how it worked. And, <laughs> and so it, it was pretty funny. We were, we were uh, we were out there, and I, I told my wife, "I'm like, yeah, I'd really like to get a trashy buck, you know." And she's like, "You're hunting a 40 acre chunk of property." And I said, "I know. I want a trashy buck. I will take whatever mature buck comes my way." And as it turns out, big trashy buck came through, and I got him. But <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, where he hangs in the in the in the front room, it's so high you can't appreciate the cool features of that rack that yeah so yeah if i could you know if i could convince my wife that we don't need the giant bookcase in there and i could you know fill everything down a little bit lower and but (laughs) i don't think that's happening well i guess i guess how i would picture my perfect trophy room is still have the vaulted ceilings but like this year i'm going on alaska moose hunt so if all things go Mm -hmm. work work out well you know i'll have this big moose that yeah i can go up high you know you you put you put those bigger animals maybe the elk caribou exactly yeah and then like the the white tails muleys you know have those little lower so you can uh, appreciate them a little bit more you know because i i still don't like with some of those animals that that i'm not as familiar hunting with say like moose i've never hunted before like they all look freaking big to me so like having it up there it's just gonna look big and where you know white tails mule deer stuff like that it's a little a little bit different so i'm gonna have to you're making me kind of rethink here what what this (laughs) this is gonna have to look like (laughs) yeah it's uh well it's all pie in the sky for us here anyway living in colorado our friggin' housing costs are so high that yeah, I, I'm, I'm just going to have to continue to make do with what I have. And I'm, I'm actually getting ready to um, redecorate my office here and try to come up with like the ultimate zoom background against that wall over there. Yeah. And in preparation for that, I have, um, let's see, I have my last two bucks that I've shot my 2021 and my 2022 buck shoulder mounted laying on the floor in my front room right yeah. now. So they're they're ready for it. They're just waiting for me to get my crap together. So Yeah. Like I said, I I have had this wall blank cuz it painted it dark cuz it shows up a little bit better yep. and everything like I don't know, January and I'm like, "Oh, but then I just can't decide how I want to lay it out." So like I got my bare mount you see back yeah. there it's on a pack just <laughs> just sitting on a shelf. It's not really on the wall and like I'm just like not sure how I want to non-committal as you can get yeah it's it's it's, it's a small room so i don't want to like 
pack it full of deer heads that are like you know around my shoulders when I'm yeah. <laughs> sitting sitting in here. But uh, that's that's kind of funny. funny. But yeah, it's a it's it's hell being a being a successful hunter, man. Yeah, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but uh, before we before we go too far deep into this here, Henry, I will kind of want you to introduce yourself to everyone here, and I'll I'll start with just kind of saying how how I, uh, became, I guess, familiar with you. So I, I had heard your name come up through some like very successful hunters in the West. And then it wasn't until my buddy, uh, or mutual friend, Clint Casper was like, you got to meet Henry. He's an absolute killer from Colorado. You know, Clint's a mule deer, you know, obsessive mule deer too. He's like, like, I've learned, I've learned so much from this guy. Like you got, you got to meet him. And, and so started following you on Instagram, uh, big chief whack-a-buck and, and started just like looking through all your photos and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, it's just like automatic every year being able to do it. And what I've, what I've picked up from afar is just like the amount of work that you put in to to hunt these deer and find these deer and photograph these deer like is it's like every successful hunter that i talk to that are consistently successful they outwork everybody that they outwork most of the people at least that that i see and that's just what i see from my perspective so i kind of want to hear your background how you became obsessed with mule deer kind of what what you have going on sure so, so yeah, Henry Ferguson, I've, I've lived in Colorado since 94. Um, I moved out here when I was like 20 and it's, uh, it's been a, it's been an adventure for me, man. I mean, I've, I've grown up all around the West and, you know, in a lot of places where, I mean, I remember growing up in Northern Arizona, um, that's, that's where I went to like junior high and high school. And so really kind of got into, really got into hunting there. Um, I mean, if we saw a mature buck, if we saw a four point buck, it was like, you'd go back and tell all your friends. It was like the talk of the town. It just wasn't a, a real deer heavy area. And so I, you know, we had, that was when Arizona's elk population was really starting to skyrocket and really starting to produce some real quality bulls. But those tags were, were dang near impossible to get as, as they remain today. Um, but so it mule deer always had kind of that mystique for me, you know, that I just seeing a mature, a big mature buck was like next level cool for me. So, so that was something that they always kind of had that, that spot in my heart. And when I moved out to Colorado in 94, um, it wasn't until like early two thousands that I really got into really took my hunting a lot more seriously. I was a, I was kind of a tournament archer for a long time. And, um, you know, it just, I, I just didn't make the time for it. That was, that was what it boiled down to. I mean, it just wasn't a priority for me. And I'll tell you, I shot a, I shot a doe in 2003 with my bow and it just absolutely triggered something in me. And I, I just, I haven't been able to get enough of it since. I mean, the next year I shot a, I shot my first Pope and young buck and, you know, he was a, a real nice wide, heavy buck with, with like little crab clawed fronts. And I just kept thinking, man, there was this other buck in that herd that I just wish I could have gotten a shot at. And so it's always that it's that pursuit for 
one more and another one just a little bigger and the the one you know that the one that got away that haunts you you know that just kind of drives me a lot so so yeah i mean like you said i i scout a lot i spend a lot of time looking at deer i mean there's a lot of deer and we live on the edge of town and there's a lot of resident bucks around here that are just Have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series. But they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. I mean, big, big deer, you know, that you can see, but it's all private and it's all, you know, I mean, these bucks will, most of them get hit by cars or die of old age. So, you know, there's not a, not much you can do other than look at them and enjoy them and appreciate them. But, but I do, and I I love, I just love watching deer. And I I feel like every time I look at deer and watch them feed and watch them interact with each other, I learn a little bit, little something about them. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, I've been a, I've been a a long time bow hunter. Um, My wife, Stacy and my son, Kyle, uh, he's 17 now. Um, and my wife, well, I guess she would probably say her age is no concern, (laughs) (laughs) but no, we, uh, we hunt, we hunt a lot. And so they, they hunt with rifles, um, which has worked out really well for me because it allows me to be incredibly the whole month of September as I'm doing my archery hunts. So, so that kind of, that's kind of worked out real well. And then when it comes time for their hunts, I'm totally focused on their success. You know, this last year was the first time that I've had a rifle tag during one of their rifle seasons. So, um, and that worked out fine. Um, Kyle got his buck and I got a, I shot my first elk with a rifle. So shot a cow and that was, that was a pretty unique experience, man. I mean, I haven't, rifle I, I it was i'm 49 years old and that was the first rifle elk tag i've had in my life really? everything's been archery so yeah it was it was kind of funny i didn't uh, you know like we talked i think we talked about this before we started recording but 
last year i didn't draw a squat <laughs> i didn't draw yeah. a freaking thing man i drew an archery antelope tag which like i told you they should just give those to people because the area i have it's like not a, a ground blind spot so it's all spot and stock on wide open prairie with grass that barely covers the top of your boots and <laughs> You know, they should, they should hand out archery, archery antelope tags to everybody here. Go knock yourself out, buddy. <laughs> have, have your fun. Make sure you got a lot of arrows yeah. and thick skin. Cause you're going to come back with your, with your ego wounded. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, it was pretty fun though. We, you know, had like uh, Kyle and I both had tags. I went out opening day. He had something going on, wasn't able to make it out opening day. And, um, and so I went out looking for, looking for elk, but, but really I was, I was hoping like crazy to, to find a buck for him and have it ready to go for the next morning. Um, and we got out there that next morning and he, he made a freaking spectacular shot on this buck and dropped him. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's, I didn't realize that your son was only 17. One, he yeah. looks, he looks older. And then like, I just, I've seen his success over the, the years here. And I'm like, man, he's off to a good start. <laughs> yeah. That, so, so you can start hunting when you're 12 here in Colorado and, and that poor kid, man, when he was 12, he drew zero tags. <laughs> so, so literally I picked up a reissued elk tag for him and uh, a cow tag. And he, he was able to fill his cow tag on like the fifth day of the season. And I mean, that kid hunted his butt off. So I was, I was so glad to see, see him get to, you know, have this successful hunt, but man, we and then a, a buddy of mine came through with a with a landowner tag for us right before fourth season, so that was cool. I mean, we were able to we were able to get him his first buck, and little turd's gotten a buck every year that he's hunted. So um, a couple of and when he was fifteen, he shot it. He shot a he shot a good buck. I mean, like a a really good buck. He shot a thirty inch buck that was like right at 180 gross just a perfect typical like the the prototypical buck when people think of a big mule deer that's that tends to be what's on there what what comes to mind you know yeah no i i remember the picture of that too just from scrolling through your instagram and seeing it laying there on the ground just (laughs) yeah oh yeah it looks like it looks and i i took a picture of it just kind of from the top of the head so you can see you know the whole rack and man it looks like you can stick a yardstick in there but you know it was it was 30 right on the money but it it helps it helps having you know a father that uh you know is obsessed with it and puts it in like i i know that is similar to my backstory with like my dad is such a big whitetail hunter and and best hunter that i know as far as just putting in the time in i mean to this day he still does four times the amount of work that i do as far as like finding <laughs> finding these it. finding these deer and and like when i was um when i was thir- 12 i shot a spike but 13 i shot this wide like 21 inch whitetail it was eight point at that time it had won the big buck contest for youth and like everyone's like you'll never cool. you know you'll never never pass that you know it was like kind of like this is you know a rarity and you know as the years went on i was starting to kill some more but it was honestly a direct correlation to my dad at that time of like just like showing me everything and like teaching me all these things and he was 
we had to hunt, you know, with somebody until you were 16, I believe. Oh, and okay. So like kind of a mentor sort of situation there. That's yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So it, it helped me learn a lot. And then once it was like, I think I was right after that point is when he kicked me out of the nest and I, you know, wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was time like, all right, you gotta go figure it out. I need to take my spots back sort of deal. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <no kidding. laughs> uh, but, but what I, I guess what I'm getting at with that is like, I learned so much by having that mentor and it sounds like, you know, your son with, with hunting with you is, is similar to that. Not, not everybody has that. So it's, it's, I, you know, I feel really grateful to, to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah, it's it's something that I, I think it I think it can be a blessing and a curse because you know there can be a, there can be an expectation of what they think of their hunt should look like and and dude I shot I shot does I shot forkies you know getting started but I was thrilled for the success that I had and I think that those are those are steps that I I want to make sure that he's not missing out on those you know, on those experiences and those, those steps. But, uh, I I'm convinced right now, if I left him alone next year or, you know, this year and said, Hey buddy, go get it. I'm just going to, I'm going to stay in camp, climb to a high spot and text me if you need, once you need some help. I I'm fully convinced that little, that little kid could, uh, (laughs) he could, he could come out with one and, and he may, you know, the the biggest the biggest difference between because I'll, I'll be honest kyle at 17 is is basically me at 17 i mean you know the uh the attention span of a gnat um, <laughs> you know <laughs> thinking more about girls than anything else and it's it's kind of funny but um i i i think the biggest difference in in me at 49 and me at 17 is is that ability to sit down and glass for hours and and i'm confident that when i leave a when i move from one glassing point to another throughout the morning i've seen what there is to see there and if i haven't seen it then that guy is like the hide and seek champion you know that's like the sasquatch version of a deer but um patience though is is the biggest difference between you know and and it's something that i've had to develop over the years but it's uh and and that's where i think mule deer have been a good teacher for me because it it gives me that that opportunity to kind of do something that i'm not comfortable with i'm not a super patient person but you know if i'm if i'm looking for deer and especially if i know there's a big deer in this area oh man I become a very, very patient, methodical person in trying to, in trying to, you know, flesh him out and figure out where he is and come up with a plan to get him, put him on the wall. And, you know, it sounds so easy to just sit there and glass, but it's, it is from experience, one of the hardest things because I, I don't get it. But when I, when I whitetail hunt, I can be an extremely patient person and I'll sit in a tree dark to dark for five days straight and because i know that it's eventually going to pan out but for some reason when i get out to a place where i can see i just i'm like 
like I looked through the glass and after like 15 minutes, I'm like, Hey, you know, what's, you know, should I be well, moving? And, and like, it's, it's so yeah. hard to get, to get myself to, to do that. And, you know, even elk hunting, I learned that like, if I would have, I think last year, if I would have used some of my whitetail tactics and just sat some of these places where I knew elk were coming through after being there for so long, seeing some of their patterns, it was like, I could probably have killed an elk in this spot if I would have done this. And I just like struggled possible with, with the mindset of like being, uh, being patient. But I mean, it's, it's a common trend. I mean, I've talked to you about mule deer hunting. I've talked to Tony Treach, Brian Barney, Clint, like I've talked to some pretty good hunters that they all have similar, you know, they talk about the patience aspect and how important glassing is and uh, the idea of covering all of that ground and looking at it differently. And, and, yeah. uh, it's, it's just, it's so it's, it's obviously so important. Well, and, and I'll, I'll speak on behalf of, I'll speak on behalf of myself and Brian Barney at the very least. I know Tony's, uh, Tony and Clint are, are, are probably way better at sitting in tree stands than us, but <laughs> man, that, that to me, I, I can't, I can't imagine how you can sit in one spot and wait for that deer to come by. But, but the difference, the funny thing is we're, we're both sitting, we're both staying pretty stationary and using our eyes and our senses to, to come up with these bucks. But, you know, the difference is, you know, we're changing, we're just changing our, our scenery more often. But, but the fact is you guys, you're sitting in that spot for a reason. You know, you know, there's a deer there, you know, there's a buck there that you're looking for. It's, it's sitting in a stand on total speculation that I could not, I don't think I would excel at that. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. And then our, and like our trail cameras are kind of like you're glassing because the woods are thick. So you can't sure. really glass. So it's like, okay, this For is sure. what I'm using is Intel to like try oh, to yeah. put yourself in those places and the, the totally. sign reading, reading aspect. But it's just, it's funny, but there, there are more comparisons than than I would have thought. And my cousin Mason's a perfect example. He is one of the best whitetail killers that I know, but he has way more of a passion for hunting mule deer out West. And he's like, I've become a better whitetail hunter from mule deer hunting because he's like, I'm looking at the landscape just without the trees on it, essentially in some of these places. Yeah. And he's like, I'm watching how the deer shift beds. And he's like, I believe whitetails do the same thing throughout the day. Even though we think they just go lay in this brush pile for all day until it's the last hour. He's like, no, they're getting up and they're browsing and they're moving and the wind shifting and they're changing you beds. Bet. And it's, it's, it's really helped translate over to a, the whitetail standpoint. Yeah. And I, I have really hunted whitetails enough for any of those skills to transfer over just because I, I just haven't really done it, but yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's funny that because hunting is hunting in a lot of, in a lot of respects, you know, and if you, if I'm, I'm convinced that if you drop somebody in a spot that is a, is a great hunter, they're going to find a way you give them a, a, maybe it might take them a season or two, but they're going to find a way to find success. And, you know, it's just a matter of, I, I think you kind of develop that. I don't know if it's a killer instinct. I don't know if that's the right phrase at all, but um, you know, it's like, for me, it took me a long time to figure out how to kill a deer. I mean, it, it truly did like, like an embarrassingly long time, but I was largely self-taught, you know, I mean, my, my dad passed away when I was 12 and I went on one hunt with him when I was like eight or nine, I still remember details, some details of that hunt. And so, I mean, 
you know, I'm grateful he did, but it, what I'm saying though is largely self-taught, you know? So, yeah. so for me, it, I, I, I approached hunting differently. I approached it more like the, you know, now there's a name for it. You know, I guess I was more of an adult onset hunter, even though I'd killed a deer and a couple turkeys when I was in high school, you know, I kind of found my way back to it later. And, and, but, but the reason I'm saying this is as I, as I developed and figured out how to kill a deer, I killed a deer again the next year. You know, I went from that doe, like I said, to a Pope and young buck the next year. And the only reason I didn't get one the following year is I was just looking to top it. I was looking for bigger and better and bigger and better the next year. And and then I started just, and I'm like, you know what, this isn't, this isn't why I hunt. This isn't, this isn't it. So I started hunting the experience and just, you know, Hey, if I, if I see a buck that gets my heart rate elevated, man, I'm going for it, you know, but, uh, so, so like this year I I've got, I, I, I told you the, the tag draws have been pretty darn good to the Ferguson family this year. So yeah. I, I cashed in 13 elk points, drew a good tag out in Utah. Um, so that'll be a, that'll be a cool hunt for me. Um, and then I drew a, a general deer hunt a general deer tag to go in that same unit. So I'll have an archery deer and elk tag out there, oh. but you know, so, I mean, I'll be, I'll be looking for a bigger bull, but man, I mean, for, for deer, I'm hunting a spot that I'm not familiar with. I'm not, I don't have any pre-scouted bucks. I've, you know, so it's going to be, it's going to be a little different for me. I'm going to go out there and if I find a buck that's in a cool spot that, you know, he's a mature deer, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, it's going to be a different experience for me because in Colorado, I mean, I'm hunting bucks that I know that I've scouted, that I've, I've watched for, you know, most of them, I've watched them over a couple of years or, you know, sometimes you'll get a, a, a cool moisture year and you get a buck that just blows up out of nowhere, you know, but, uh, but for the most part, I've, I've watched these bucks over a year or two and kind of know which ones I'm looking for. Yeah, I think I think that's such a good point too. I I know like for myself, I typically hold myself to a higher standard in Pennsylvania, which the the rack size isn't really traditionally comparable to what you see in the Midwest, but for an older age class deer because I spend the most time here scouting. I start to know the areas and I feel like I need to push myself a little more, but then there's sometimes I go on out of state trips or whatever and I know nothing about it and it's like I'm hunting yeah. the experience and I don't think I deserve to be able to, to shoot a big one. Now I would be perfectly happy if that's what happened, but like, you know, I, that's why you're there. <laughs> some guys, some guys had asked me in as 2021, I'd killed my biggest archery buck in Pennsylvania on opening day. And then two weeks later I drove to New York and I wanted to kind of hunt off the ground and doing a little bit of spot and stock in the timber. And I shot this young, small, buck on on the first day it was well the only day i was going to be hunting up there and uh they were like well how do you go from doing this and i'm like that was the first buck that i'd shot on the ground saw him feeding there slipped in to 38 yards and put a good arrow packed him out and it was like 
that was just as exciting as the other one. It was just different scenarios. And same thing yeah. with like mule deer. Like I, I've only ever hunted mule deer once and I ended up being in the hospital from elevation sickness. But yeah. I, uh, so this year I got a South Dakota mule deer tag and it's like, my goals aren't to no shoot the, elevation the, problems there. No, I know. I'm <laughs> oh, like I'm not, I'm not, my goal isn't to shoot this, you know, giant buck. Now, obviously I would love that, but I want to shoot something that's representative and looks like a mule deer buck. Like I, I yeah. don't have the, I don't have the skills. I don't have the experience to, to feel like I should, that that's a realistic goal to go in there and shoot 170 inch deer. Who knows? They might not even be there, but like, it's just yeah. for, for me, it's, 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 I, I try to look at everything differently. I don't like put blanket statements on anything that I do. It's kind of situational and, and try to learn to, to be better. And then, you know, maybe five years down the road and I pull that tag every year, I feel more confident and going after some bigger ones. And then I'll, you know, do that then. Like you were talking about yeah. that buck that you shot in 2020 and, and, you know, you said, you know, maybe someone would have shot it in 2018. That would have been me if I was there. I would have been trying to shoot that deer. <laughs> and you know what? You would have been perfectly within your rights and, and, and within your right mind to do it. I mean, he was yeah. a nice buck. Yeah. But yeah, it was funny. I had that. I, I had a couple different, a couple friends stock that buck in 2018 and 2019 and, you know, now knowing what I know now, I'm sure glad that those stocks blew up. Because, <laughs> <But laughs> you know, I, I I just feel like big bucks look better on my wall than anywhere else. And, you know, I, I feel like, it, and this is totally myopic and stupid of me, but I just feel like I should have a chance at every big buck. That's how, that's how I yeah. want it to be. But no, I, I just, I, I love Jason, man. It's something that, you know, and then, it, and the coolest part is being able to kind of develop that history with them, you know, watch them for a year or two. And, or even if you just see that buck that just blows up during the summer and you just watch them all summer. Um, that was how my first big buck was. I, I, as it turns out, I did, I shot him in 2013. And as it turns out, I did see him in 2012. In fact, I saw him in 2012. I didn't even draw a tag that year for that, for the, the units that I like to hunt, but my buddies did. So I was just out there helping them. And, um, I mean, I was out there helping them with tags in my pocket for a different unit. And I, I eventually shot a little buck the last weekend of the hunt and I was thrilled to have it, but, but I was out there hunting with my buddy, Tim, and we, we were just kind of working this ridge line, looking glass and beds midday. And we just, we didn't approach this rock correctly, like at all. We, we totally screwed this up. And, and as we walked up on this rock, this buck blows out from like 10, 15 feet away from us and takes off running big, tall buck, deep forks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, man, that buck, that buck, that's a big deer. And he was a big deer. He was probably, I'm betting he was probably low eighties that year, maybe, maybe high seventies, but he was, he was a real good buck. And I, I ended up killing him the next year when he was just a little bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was he was 194 gross green. Oh. So yeah, he was he was a big typical no no cheaters, just a straight slick four by four with eye guards. But but yeah, and, and the funny thing is, where I ended up shooting that buck, 
Um, I'll bet it was maybe three to 400 yards away from that rock where we, where we blew them out that day. So really? it's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, mule deer, mule deer don't necessarily like follow a, the same game trail like a whitetail does, mm-hmm. but there's, there's still some habits in there and there's, there's a home range and a home territory that if you figure out where that is, you've got a good shot of staying on that buck. And if you, if, if they aren't shot, you've got a good chance of seeing them there year after year. That's, that's what I was just going to ask you. Like, I, I know with, with whitetails, like there's, there's trends that I'll find, like I'm super analytical on, uh, I'll get either, whether it's personal sightings or trail camera data, like, okay, this buck showed up to this area around this time. I look kind of at the weather conditions, you know, the time of year is at the rut, what, what's making him come through here. And a lot of times if conditions are similar the following year, right around that date, you know, he'll show back up. Do you see any similar trends with mule deer like that? No, I can't, I can't really say I've, I've seen anything that specific. Um, well, actually, you know what? Yeah, I can, I can, we've got, I told you we live by a, we live by a, a, a state park here and there's, and there's not as many deer in there as there used to be, but there tend to be a couple of real whoppers that come through there. And there's one buck that shows up the third week of October. And I mean, I, I can set my watch to this buck showing up like the third, third week of October. And our, our rut here is usually the second, third week of November. Um, I find, I find it peaks here right around November 18th, 19th, 20th, right in that neighborhood. Um, but this buck shows up every year. And it's, it's funny cause I, I watch that spot all year round. And once he shows up, he'll stick, he'll show up, he'll chase does for a month. And typically he'll just blend, he'll just disappear back into the oak brush and go about his big buck life and won't see him again until next October. So I I remember seeing this buck once the first week of August and I'm like, where the hell did you come from? Like what you don't, you know, looking at my watch Well, you're way early. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it's kind of funny. I mean, we do, we do see a little bit of that, but. Well, I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with the buddies Hoyt RX eight, the smile on my face made the decision for me. The first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other It provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills 
and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at themobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Interesting. I So to, to kind of transition a little bit more, when you're talking about, you know, finding deer and you like to scout a lot, I know like for me, when I look at whitetails and I've all, all honestly taken this to elk hunting a little bit too, but like when I'm trying to find spots, I always like to have at least five areas that, that I know. And like, I can work through this hunt plan of like yeah. things that aren't working out, but I've also like taken it a step further where I have like, say if I have five areas, I'll have like one that's like a pretty difficult to access one that's kind of back in, like traditionally you'd think that it wouldn't be people back in there. And then, you know, I'll have one that's kind of moderate and then maybe three that are like easier to access or I can get to quickly and be able to, to kind of move along there. And I know just from from talking to you and stuff before it sounds like a lot of like a lot of the places that you like to hunt are ones that you can get to relatively when I say easily, I don't mean like it's, it's easy to get there, but you can like say drive to it and cover a lot of ground without, you know, say backpacking in eight or nine miles. And then you're stuck to one specific spot. Does that sound kind of yep. very accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, I, I don't kill much on backpacking hunts. I've taken a deer or two on it. Um, and you know that's cool. I hey, I'll, I'll hunt them wherever I need to, and by whatever means necessary. But yeah, we bought a uh, we bought a camp trailer two years ago, and I'll tell you what, that has been just like the most pleasant, life changing experience for me to be able to hunt in actual comfort. Um, yeah. And, and now, now what that means though is that I'm I'm driving you know, I'm going to be driving early mornings and late nights. And what it also means is that I'm going to be hiking more because I'm not staying back in there where they live. Um, and there's pros and cons to that because you're, you're keeping less scent in there. You're not in there prepared food and, you know, stuff like that, (laughs) snoring in the middle of the night and scared everything away. But, you know, so there, there are pros and cons, but you know, that's, you know, and again, that's the cons. I mean, or that's the pros, but the the cons are you're going to be hiking in and out a lot. So, but I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, that's that's uh, that's just part of the hunt for me is you know putting on putting some miles on the boots. I mean, it's it's uh, I, I've usually got well over a hundred miles on my boots before I kill a deer um, through a season, and that's you know, hiking in and out of glassing spots, switching glassing points. And, you know, that's, that's just kind of, I'm not, I've, I've always told everybody, I'm not a great hunter. I'm just, I'm just really persistent. And, you know, eventually if I, I feel like, I feel like now, I mean, I've got like a 15 or 16 year streak of killing a deer with my bow. I feel like now it's, it's, it's inevitable if I do my part, if I stay out there, if I blow off work for, you know, long periods of time in a <laughs> row. Um, and I do, um, but, but you know, that's, Hey, that's what it, it, that's what it means to me. I mean, that's, that's my, it's my time, you know, and that's my vacation time. That's my, 
time that I truly, you know, that I enjoy a lot. And so, so yeah, I, I'll make the sacrifices that, that I need to, to be able to get work done up ahead of that. And after that, and that's, uh, that's what it means to me, you know? Yeah. And, and it's funny because when you think of, you know, at least when I first thought of truck camping and like doing that style hunting, I thought it was just like, oh, this is an easier way to do it. And like, cause the first, you know, the first time yeah. I went elk hunting in Colorado, I backpacked in first time, which I don't recommend anybody doing that for their first nope. hunt. And I <laughs> it was, it was very difficult, but you know, I had read, uh, Cam Haynes's book, which was like, the best thing for me as far as it inspired me to go do this and get into it. And I, but I just don't yeah. think that for me, it was the best option to go at the, at the beginning. Cause there's a whole nother aspect you have to add into living in the back country versus, you know, focusing on hunting and honing those skills of it. And, you know, after two or three years of doing that, I start, I went to Idaho and I was like changing it up, setting up truck camp, put a rooftop tent in my truck. And I was like, I'm going to sleep here and I'm going to just go in as possible. One thing I hiked a lot more because you had to, like yeah, you said, to get exactly. into the, get exactly. into these spots and it, you had to get up earlier. You were back at camp later at night. Like that was, that was, uh, a, a, an aspect that I didn't really truly understand that it was going to be like that. It was, you know, it was harder work from that aspect, but it allowed yeah. me to be more mobile for somebody like me. That's like, I need, I need chances because I need opportunities because I'm not, I'm not always the best. If I have one opportunity of making it happen, I'm just not there yet. And I need, I, I need, you know, at bat, so to speak, and, and to be able to get it. And I learned from that with, with that elk hunt. And it's just, it's, and, uh, you're talking about having a, uh, like a camper, like trailer there. So I'm actually having one built, um, right now it's, it's actually done, but it's at a, a show. So this local off-road shop, um, oh, had, awesome. had approached me about like, they said, well, I, I had talked to them about, I was like, man, I, I want a, a hunting trailer that's like, but I said, there's not one, they're really expensive that are on the market. And two, there was nothing that, that I felt was like exactly what I, what I wanted. So the I worked with them fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. I worked, worked with them on a design and, um, he, uh, this guy's super talented and he built it, he, he built it to kind of the specs and then he made it actually work. You know, mine was just a drawing on a piece of paper, essentially yeah. what, <laughs> what I, what I thought would be, would be good. Um, because I wanted something I could go and drop it off and have, you know, the camp kitchen that folds out. I could put my rooftop tent on that. So it's not on my truck all the time and, and have yeah. it take, take it down and set it there and having water and extra fuel and be able to keep your coolers there, all this stuff. And, and, um, this, the shop hardcore off road and they were like, yeah, they're like, let's, let's build you one, have you test it, find the flaws in it. And then he's going to, you know, eventually sell, you know, Market sell these types of, yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. So I was like, I'm, I'm really excited to, 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 cause I, once I started doing that and having the comfort of this nice pad versus the, the little yeah. climate, you know, oh, oh come on. God. God, is that nice? I don't care it's, what anybody says. That is the best thing ever, dude. It's life changing. <laughs> it's life changing. And, and Bo, I didn't, I didn't get mine until I was forty seven. So yeah. I mean, I mean, truly having having that ability to get a comfortable good night's sleep, having that ability to, and 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 really, I I think the most important aspect of it. It allows me, and you you touched on this, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reemphasize that point. It allows me to be more mobile. 
Um, it allows me if I'm if I'm in this one spot and I've got a deer scouted in there, but somebody else shows up. Hey, it's public land. It's just as much theirs as mine or somehow. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it allows me to, to say, okay, forget it. I'm going to go other side of the mountain this time. I'm going to go North. I'm going to go South. I'm going to, because you, you, you've touched on a few of my really uh, kind of the tactics that I use of having, you know, four or five bucks in four or five different spots that I can hunt. So if I get in there and uh, man, I mean, I've watched deer. I, I hunted a buck in 2010 that my gosh, yeah. I, I wish I wish I could hunt that deer in 2023 because I'm absolutely positive I would kill that buck. I spent an obscene amount of time obsessed with this deer, and rightfully so. He he was big, he was big. He he ended up scoring 201 and six eights. Um, how do I know? Because he got shot on the rifle hunt. Uh, and the guy who shot him is is actually has become a very good friend of mine. Actually, through this this story, but but I hunted that buck like it was my job for three weeks, and I I never got it. I I never got to full draw on this stupid deer. Um, <laughs> stupid deer. I mean, that's out of anger. That's not a description yeah. of his intelligence. Because <laughs> trust me, who survived the archery season unscathed? And I'm the stupid hunter. Um, but I had stock after stock on this buck. And and one of the things I learned was patience there. Um, I learned that just because I saw that deer didn't mean I was going to have a stocking opportunity, a legit stocking opportunity. Um and and one one in fact gosh it was probably the fifth or sixth time i'd stocked this deer um that see that one season and i and okay and so it, it, in full disclosure i wasn't even stocking that deer i i had given up so it's good i'm just gonna go i found another real nice mature buck he's probably a mid-170s buck i'm like i'm gonna go kill that deer just to prove to myself that I know how to hunt deer. So I watched <laughs> and, and I watched this buck feed. I watched him feed for like an hour and a half and he was by himself. I watched, this is very important to the story. I watched him for an hour and a half and saw zero other deer with him. And I'm like, yep, that deer's going home with me. I'm going to kill that buck. So I saw him go down on the backside of this little ridge and, and, and he never came back. I'm like okay he's bedded there because every every other deer had bedded an hour before that he finally he finally disappeared back there i watched again for about a half hour never reappeared i'm like he's bedded i'm gonna go i'm gonna come right over the top of that ridge and i know that little draw that he's in it's real small he's pretty much going to be in bow range when i pop over the top there um so I sneak down in there and keep in mind, I've watched for an hour and a half and I've seen zero other deer with him. So I sneak over the hill, over the top of the hill. I get to this big burnt out stump and I come up right behind that stump. I mean, Bo, this stock is working perfectly. Winds in my favor, you know, sun's at my back. I mean, he's going to, he's going to be looking straight up into the rising sun when he, when he, you know, this is, this is going my way. I step over the top of that ridge and I'm sitting there 
And I, I don't know how close he was, but he was no more than 10 yards away. All of a sudden, deer stand up everywhere. The big buck I'd been after for three weeks is right in the middle of the herd, and he is close. Stands, glances back my direction, and is gone. 13 bucks took off out, out of that little draw, that <laughs> little tiny draw with the one buck that I was stalking that day being the last one up. And he looked around for a second, but no time for a shot and took off. I kid you not, Bo, I, I, that was that I lost my, I lost it that day. I, I mean, I freaking lost it. I've never cussed at a buck as he ran away. But I did at that one. <laughs> and it was a good thing I wasn't near any trees because I would have wrapped my freaking bow around it so Because, <laughs> you know, it was totally the bow's fault. It was the deer's yeah. fault. No, it was my fault. I sucked as a hunter. and But I did make that stock perfect. Got right in there. Got in close. And I was looking farther down that little ridge. I wasn't looking up at the top of, you know, just right on the backside of the ridge, which is where that whole herd had bedded earlier in the morning. It turned out they just fed behind there all morning. And I just, they were just on the, just literally on the other side of a hill and I couldn't see them. And, but man, I, I, I was, I was so pissed, man. Just, just blew it. But, you know, it taught me a lot that, that I, like I said, I learned a lot hunting that buck. One of the things I learned was patience and stocking only the buck that you want to hunt. Um, stocking them only when they're bedded in a place that's conducive for a stock. Um, Cause like I said, I just, I stocked him everywhere I saw him and had, had some close encounters, but never, I never even got to full draw on a legitimate shot on that buck. So what what would you have done differently with that situation where he was bedded out there? Nothing, honestly. I, I still feel like I executed that stock well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the funny thing was <clears throat> I knew this buck's home range, and I knew that I could pretty much see him anytime I went out there. And that one morning, I just didn't see him. And rather, I mean, if I looked back on it now, I, I bet it was probably a full moon cycle and they'd been up feeding most of the night. And you, you know, in, in those, you tend to find bucks that bed real, real early. So I'm betting that's what happened is I just didn't see him that morning because he bedded early. Uh, um, but you know, I've also learned with that, that if they're bedding early, they're going to be up mid morning to feed. So, you know, just, yeah, it was, it was one of those, I mean, that was, that was only one of the, close calls i had with him i mean i i had i blew those stocks in many and creative ways so it was just an experience what what was so conducive for those deer to bed in that exact spot like what what do you feel like was like made them want to bed there shade okay shade yeah i mean it's that's that's you know i'm hunting pretty open country and that's shades always almost always their their number one concern Gotcha. So, and yeah, and, and early season, it's their one of their number one concerns. Now, later in the year, as you know, as it cools off, you'll 
I mean, it, it, it's still, you know, the shade gives them some cover and some protection. Um, but yeah, it's, it's shade. And like, yeah, okay. So when you say shade, is that, is that typically like a rock that might have an overhang on it that gives them a little bit of shade? Is it bushes? Like what, what kind yeah, of stuff? Rocks, for there? bushes, blown down trees. I've seen them bed under the root ball of like a blown down tree. Um, just whatever provides them shade. I mean, rather it's, it could just be a, you know, on the backside of a hill where it's, you know, the sun rising and it's, it's not going to hit them until, you know, 11 or 12 o'clock. They'll, they'll just bed there wherever they can get some shade. Yeah. And when, when you're looking at those types of places that are really open like that is, I struggle in those areas as far as like, okay, everything looks open. Like where do I start looking like for the, for the deer? And I remember talking to Robbie Denning and he was telling me, it's like any sort of cover and covers relative toward those types of areas. He's like, just, yes, yeah. And so I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. You know, my son's first hunt's a great example of that. Um, his first deer hunt, we knew I had been up in a neighboring unit and I, I learned just a little bit about the area and knew that if there was, I mean, it was wide open sage country, wide open sage country. Um, and I mean, you know, there were pine covered hillsides up above, but there was a giant, giant basin out there that, that you can hunt. And I mean, when I say giant basin, I mean, it's like 30 miles across, you know, um, and there's, there's trees and stuff in there, but it's not the big high country stuff. The high country was just the mud, the roads were just total mud holes, and I'm like, I, I don't even want to screw around with that right now. I don't feel like chaining up and going up there and, you know, yeah. getting stuck for a day or two. But so we, we hunted that lower elevation down in the sage, but that sage had pockets of aspens or it had pockets of just buck brush and stuff. And that was, that was what we really honed in on and focused on those. And he killed a couple bucks up there over the years. And every time it, it had, to do with that like robbie denning said hey when robbie talks you should probably listen close yes he's literally written books about mule deer hunting and i've read them don't (laughs) own the books buy them yeah (laughs) um but yeah it's that that little micro topography and micro cover it, it means everything to him man i mean you will see bucks bed out in the wide open sage but even then it's going to be like a a a a bed that's dug out so that they can get just a little bit lower and, and find just a little bit of shade. And I, I mean, that, that open country, that's, that's where I thrive. That's where I do my best work is, you know, I can glass it like crazy and I can, I, 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 I feel that's my great, one of my greatest strengths as a hunter is yeah. my ability to glass um, with, with the second being my ability to, to just make the shot, you know, and that's something that I work on. I work on that year round. I mean, I don't, you know, some kid, um, a guy posted on uh, Instagram yesterday goes, Hey, does anybody have their bows back out yet? What? I said, what you can put them away. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you put your bow away? Come on. Yeah. I, I love shooting my bow. That's that thing brings me a lot of joy and yeah. a, a great deal of stress relief throughout the year, you know? So yeah, I, I don't, so that's, that's, but, my my shooting I, I told you you know i used to shoot a lot of tournaments and i don't shoot a lot of tournaments anymore but every shot i make now you know when i go to an archery range i go to a 3d range especially every shot i take 
I take that shot as if I'm, you know, I'm getting ready to kill that mule deer, getting ready to kill that elk, getting ready to kill that red stag, which I'm never going to kill a red stag, but you know, it, it just takes that level of preparation and focus. And then when you get to um, like the buck I shot in 2021, this, it was so cool. I, I, um, that, that wide buck that my, my son shot that I was telling you about when he was 15, I had actually been at full draw on that buck three times in one morning and I just couldn't get the shot. I needed. I couldn't get the angle. He was through the brush too fast, you know, through the opening too fast or, you know, a number of things, but I just couldn't get the shot I needed on him. So I sat there and watched that buck. And I, I was, I was frustrated, but I knew there was another group of deer that I'd glassed from the other side of the basin that early that morning. And I'm like, if I get back over, over this ridge, I think I'm, my morning's not over. So I got up there and I peeked over the top of the ridge and, oh my gosh, there's five more bucks that, you know, that are feeding down there. And one of them, one of them, I saw a cheater on the outside and I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's dangerous you don't want to show me a cheater i like those two boxes. so as, I, as i'm looking at that cheater he turned his head a little bit and i saw a cheater on the inside of his rack and i'm like yeah i, I hey i'm but a man i can't <laughs> i can't pass this you know so anyway i i looked down at him and and i'm like all right he was he was faced straight away from me i'm like all right no shot no shot no shot and I just sat there and watched him feed for, for a couple minutes. And finally he turned and gave me like almost, almost a straight broadside shot. I could see the, the top, like two thirds of his body above the brush. And I'm like, you know what? This, this just all seems so familiar to me. And I'm like, you know, I've hunted this spot before and I've shot a buck or two there, but, but I, this, this scenario, this setup just seems so familiar to me. And I, I pulled up my rangefinder, clicked it 71 yards. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is almost the exact shot that we have at the Highlands Ranch 3D range. And on a mule deer, in oak brush i mean i'm like this is this i have practiced this shot 300 times this year alone so i drew back and oh my gosh i was so confident in that shot drew back pin settled shot broke and as soon as that shot broke i'm like oh he's not gonna like that (laughs) (laughs) sure enough he did not and uh but he you know he went like 50 60 yards and rolled down the hill dead so but it was you know it was that that fact that i had practiced that shot so many times and i knew exactly what it was going to take for me to make that shot and it it was just it was just really cool i i you know i've never had a scenario that was that tailor-made you know from from drawn from my own experiences but but yeah it was pretty cool you know so just staying focused on at the 3d range and preparing yourself because you know we hunt out i hunt out west dude i i usually i'll I'll, on average i'll shoot two animals you know a deer and elk or deer and an antelope or maybe 
a, a couple deer if I get an out of state tag, you know, but, but truthfully, we don't get the reps that you guys do back there, you know? So, I mean, you guys can, you guys can get, you, you can kind of build your, your experience shooting does and stuff like that. And we just, it's just not an option for us out here. So, so we've got to really be ready when those couple opportunities a year do present themselves. Well, I will say, Henry, I'd say that's probably the, for the majority of whitetail hunters, but like where a lot, like in the Appalachian mountain region, like where I'm at and everything there's, it's low deer density. So honestly, like if I shoot two deer a year, that's a pretty good, you know, those are hard. Yeah. Like, so I, I've always said that was always like a detriment to myself as far as like, I need to go to places that have more deer and like where I hunt West Virginia has a lot of deer. And I'm like, I'm making sure I'm getting a doe tag when I go down there because one, I I need to practice more because I've found that that is definitely a hole. My game is like, is that closing moment, something that you've, you know, you've gained over the years, you know, maybe you don't have as many reps per year, but you know, through the years of being able to do that. But like, I, I know I struggle with it when I'm on, on the range, you know, I feel pretty confident in my shooting and then I get out in, in these situations and it's like all of a sudden I kind of lose it a little bit and I've gotten a lot better uh, and I've put a lot of effort into it, but it's just still that like last year with, with my elk, there's a a film that's going to come out. I had this 350, 360 inch bull, um, there at 18 yards and it was thick brush. And my, I was so focused on the shot that I wasn't focusing on what was around me and there was too much brush and I shouldn't even shot, but like, you know, it happened fast. It drew back peep sight, scope housing, everything was clear through there, but the whole bigger picture. And like, I feel like when you get that, I don't know if the, if that's you know, still considered the under the, the, there. The, that, yeah, that, but you get under that, that killing instinct where, you know, somebody like you guys have is like, you're, you're able to recognize, you know, slow yourself down and recognize things a little bit more. And I still struggle with that in certain in certain scenarios as far as like, okay, what, and I think that's where 3d, um, archery helps a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of total archery challenge, but the one thing that I think that I screw up with is when I go to these events, a lot of times, like I'm going with a group of guys and we always shoot these really long range courses and that's great. But it also, I think there's as much benefit when I go to these local ones and shoot in the woods where there are branches and stuff, and you can see how your arrow is going and 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 going through and what what your arc looks like of your arrow because yeah. I've that's where I've you know I screwed up on that elk hunt where it deflected because I didn't even know that it was there and I've I've run yeah. that situations enough times that um, I was just literally going through editing that that film here yesterday and i saw that bull come in again and it still hurts just as bad as it did last september still your heart. Yeah. yeah well it, and the funny thing is bo it I, I think that's that's the difference you know i mean you, you those those situations and those uh just call them what they are those failures those times we we come up short of our goal those are motivating and they can motivate you to become a, you know, just more aware in that last moment. Um, I mean, my, my whole, my whole approach to hunting is controlling the things that I can control because there's, there's so much of, so much of it that's out of our control. So for me, again, that's why I scout a lot. You know, that's why I do a lot of preseason scouting. I mean, I live here, so it's, you know, it's easier for me, but 
that's that's one of my things that I'm I'm focused on. I, I want to control the things that I can control. I can go find animals and be ready to make a make the move when the time's right. And I can be ready. I can spend a lot of time at the range and prepare myself for when that opportunity does hopefully come that I will be ready to, to cash it in, you know? Yep. And I mean, those are, so that's, that's my thing. You know, I just want to control the controllables because so much of it, I mean, man, you can have a mountain lion move into the area and start killing a couple deer. And well, they're now, if the deer does stay there, he is going to be so on edge. I mean, you're going to have to be on your game to, to even get in the ballpark, you know, it could be other hunters moving in and, and blowing them out from his primary spot to a secondary spot. And, you know, like last night, it was, it was so funny. Last night I went, I, I was telling you before we started recording, I went and shot this 3d league at uh, one of the ranges that I'm a member of here in town. And Tom Clum was there from Rocky mountain specialty gear. He's a, I mean, if you don't know Tom Clum, look him up. He's, this guy is like a, a, a clinic in archery and, um, I mean, literally, he's a level four uh, NAA certified coach, which is the highest level of certification you can get. So he can he can coach Olympians, and and the funny thing is, Tom's a Tom's a trad guy. He owns this shop, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear, here in Denver. That's um, traditional archery, primarily focused on traditional archery, and then they've got a compound side now too. But but his his son Danny, he was talking last night to uh, to a friend of his afterwards, and he was talking about his son Danny, and he goes, you know, he is he's just the most. The guy goes, yeah, he's one of the most successful hunters I've I've ever met, and he goes, yeah, and it's no accident, you know. He goes, yeah. he's the guy who's out there with the spotting scope, sitting on a mountaintop, watching watching those. Um, watching those bulls all summer and he's watching and he's making sure he knows where they're going, why they're going. And, and he pointed up at me and he goes, Henry does the same thing with deer. Um, and, you know, and one of the things I learned, and in fact, I think this might've been from a Robbie Denning podcast years ago um, was to bump them and find out where their escape, where their escape route is. So, I'll, I'll do that on a, if I'm hunting a new spot and I see a buck, you know, a, a couple days in a row in a, in a, in a place, um, that I'm scouting. Now this is very important. This is while I'm scouting and I won't do this within a month of the hunt. So if yeah. I see one out there in late July, I'll sneak in, like I'm going to hunt him and I'll bump him and see where, where he goes. Um, because you can learn a lot from that. You can sit there as you watch them run away, you learn where their escape route is. That's important. You learn more and equally important. You learn where their secondary home is, um, where, you know, kind of their second safety zone is where if somebody else comes in and, you know, comes time for the season. And as it turns out, you're not the only rooster in the hen house. There's other people scouting that been scouting that same buck on days you haven't been out there. Well, now, you know, assuming they bump him, bump him on a stock, you know where to you know where to look for him. So, yeah. and that bit of information could be the difference between success and you know going home with a, a story to tell 
and nothing in the back of the truck. <laughs> that that is such that's such an important piece because again, I know I keep relating this to whitetails, but it's because that's kind of where where my experience is and where a lot of these sure, listeners sure. are hunting. But that's the same exact thing that with with whitetail bucks. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of people when they're hunting whitetails, especially in the big woods, you can't see them. They're worried about blowing them out and this, sometimes this even happens during season like i'm not i'm not purposefully trying to blow them out but if i blow one out it's not the end of the world i'm like okay i yeah. learned i learned okay he likes you know he ran down over here this is where where he's going this is where he was now i know exactly where he was bedded at now is he going to lay there every day no but you have way more pieces of the puzzle together and exactly. if he escaped you know a little ways ahead of you and you didn't like almost step on him he's probably going to come right back there because his plan worked uh, and, okay so there's there's a question i want to ask you now i'm going to yes. be podcast host for a second here all right on your whitetail box on a mature buck if you do you bump it how long on average is he gone or you, you do find that they come back, right? Yeah, I do find that because they've got, I mean, they've got, that's their home for a reason. It's got the food, the cover and the water that they need to, to be able to, to eke out an existence there. So how long on average, if you bump them, are they gone? I'd say a day or two at most. Sometimes they'll come right back, like even that day and come back and, and i don't have a ton of personal experience of actually seeing it but i've known that they oh, come back of experience with that one <laughs> yeah. is, is, is that is that what you see um yeah from a mule deer perspective? Almost, almost the same almost the same it's they'll they'll be back within 24 to 48 hours if it's yeah. like a really hard bump say you get a shot at it and you know it, it really scares him and he takes off sometimes they'll be gone three days but but yeah usually they're usually back there within 24 to 48 hours i I figured it would be the same but i I just wanted to kind of confirm that because and and the way i look at it too is like okay now if he was bumped you know multiple times in that spot now it's going to change up the story a little bit but that mature buck has chosen that spot of because that's the best spot that he is found to be able to lay exactly. there. All the yeah. satellite bucks that are there, they're in the less, you know, they're not in the best spot as he is. You know, he's got yeah. the he's the king, he's got the best spot, and he knows it works. He got away. So like and it, it just makes sense to me. Like that, yeah, they're gonna come back and lay in and lay in the spot. And and th- that's I just I've seen that time and time again. And that's why, like, especially in a newer area, I'm more aggressive and not worrying if I end up bumping something because it's like, okay, now I've just added some more knowledge to what this deer. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. You're just adding more to the, you're adding more tools to your chest, you know? Yeah. Um, and each one that you add, you get, you get a step closer. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool to hear that, that, that mule deer are similar in that, that yeah. aspect too i mean it, it makes sense it's like because like why would this deer you know elk are different they just they seem to go like 17 miles away but like for deer, yeah. for deer it's like okay why would i want to go to an area that i don't know well and don't know if this spot's really that good to lay down in where i know this spot has worked like i'm gonna well yeah i mean and i'm sure you guys see the same thing i mean we we have what i call historical you know i just call them historical beds I mean, where you would swear that deer have been walking up and pawing out that bed for a hundred years. Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're just, they're those deep, 
beds with the, you know, usually have good cover, good escape routes. And, you know, they can, they can either see you, smell you or hear you on as your approach. And I mean, let's, let's face it. We're the least of their problems out here. Mountain lions are hunting them every day. <laughs> you know, we, clowns like us are out there for a couple months of the year, but they're, they're much bigger threat as mountain lions. Yeah. And so if they can, if they can choose these spots, you know, in these beds so that they've got, you know, a few of their senses that can alert them to danger, then they're going to go back to that bed over and over. Yeah. So no, that, 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 that's definitely, that's where the little difference is as far as we don't have mountain lions. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I saw one when I was 16, but I can't prove it other than <laughs> they're not, they're not really here. So I'll tell you, I think they're freaking <laughs> everywhere. They're just, they are the most reclusive animals. You just don't see them a lot. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. Um, this one quick side note was when I was elk hunting in Montana last year, uh, I had this bull going, it was like day 18 of the hunt. And there was this bull right on this bench above us. It was right before dark. I'm down below and he's hammering. I'm like, he's just got to come off this bank on this trail. and I'm going to have a shot. And all of a sudden he just shut up out of nowhere. And I'm like, checking throw milkweed i'm like wind's good like what's going on <laughs> couldn't figure it out well my buddy tim that was calling behind me he had a camera that was up on that bench um a trail camera and like months later he went in to pull it and that day at that time there was a big tom walking it, it was go. only it was only 50 yards from us and i never yeah. saw it you know and it's oh just yeah like, yeah you know and that's the that's where that's where you uh become a real fan of grace knowing that <laughs> knowing that it had nothing to do with your that you didn't get eaten by a mountain lion that day it was yeah. literally the fact that that mountain lion was not digging your chili <laughs> yeah i know but yeah know. It, it, and there's there's so many i i just i wonder how many times i have been in close range to mountain lions and and i mean you know, I, I, I truly don't know. I, I honestly don't know, but, um, I'm sure that the number, if I, it, you know, if I ever find out is going to scare the piss out of me, yeah. it's going to be a big number, but yeah, it's, it's funny. I don't, they're, they're so elusive. And I mean, and, and the funny thing is for all the time that I spend glassing, I hunt an area that has a lot of cats. I mean, a lot of cats. We've, we've hunted it in the winter. Um, for, we've hunted mountain lions out there. I used to have a, do- a friend who was, I had a friend who used to have dogs and we'd chase them out there. I have never glassed one up. I've, I've glassed up everything. Bears, plenty of them. You know, every animal that lives on that landscape, I have glassed them up. I have never glassed up a freaking mountain lion. And so it tells me they're probably hunting more at night. But I mean, you know, because most of the tracks that we find tend to have been made overnight. But yeah, it's still a pretty sobering thing, you know. And I mean, I'm sure I'll have an unpleasant encounter at some point, but. I'm not in any hurry for it. And I'm, I'm more prepared now because I'll either have bear spray or a sidearm on me. But I'm, I'm, I've always like, 
been intrigued by them. Like I want to see one, but I don't at the same time. Like last year when I was bear hunting in Montana, the same area I was elk hunting, we were going on this trail on the side through these cliffs and it was thick. And I was like, this trail was kind of weird because it was like about waist high down. All the brush was like kind of cleared out. And then all of a sudden we saw lion tracks in there. I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're on a mountain lion trail <laughs> going around the side of this, this mountain. And then, uh, my buddy was hunting on the other, in the other basin and they saw a mountain lion come chase a deer past them, a mule deer at 40 yards. I mean, what happened was what they think happened was the lion was putting on a stock and they bumped the deer. So it like prematurely oh, yeah, had yeah, them, yeah. had them kind of come out and they said it was the, the wildest thing. It just ran right past oh, I them. Bet. And, I uh, bet. Is yeah, but we had a uh, so so it's kind of funny. I I shot a deer in 2007, and I had these two brothers that were were just kind of getting into hunting, and I was kind of teaching them, you know, big game hunting. They'd done a little bird hunting and stuff in the past, but we we're going after big game, and um, so they came out and helped me. Um, I met them, and they came out. I I shot this buck. I call, I got to signal, called them. And I'm like, Hey, do you guys want to see how the, the other part of hunting works? You know, the, after a successful hunt, how you cut them up, how you get them back to the truck. And so anyway, like, Oh yeah. So a couple hours later, they met me out there. Um, and we're driving back out to this spot. And the funny thing was we're, we're in two car we're in two separate vehicles and I'm in the first one because I know where we're going and I slam on the brakes. There's a mom, and there's a female mountain lion and two cubs, but they're like, a, you know, sub adult cubs. They're just about ready to go out on their own in the road right in front of us. And oh my gosh, it was, it was crazy. It was so cool. They, they sat there and they like chased each other around and then ran up this hill to the side. And it was, it was just one of those moments where you're like jaw on the, on the ground. Did I just see what I just saw? Was that <laughs> really what I just saw? And so anyway, the, the funny part was we get out and I mean, it was probably, I'll bet it's a 10 minute drive from there to where we parked and, and started heading in, you know, cause then it, See, so we parked and then it was about a mile and a half in from the road where my buck was. And we're sitting back there and these two brothers, Tim and Brad, Brad's the older brother, Tim's the younger brother. And and Tim was the bully that night though. He kept going, (laughs) (laughs) Brad, did you hear that in the brush? Was that, was that the cats you think they're here already? <laughs> it was so funny. It was it made for a really funny night, but uh we didn't I mean man, we didn't get that buck out of there till probably eleven thirty that night. But it was it was hilarious though. And in you know, the whole time we're like, no, 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 don't worry about it, don't worry about it. They're way that was that was ten miles away. Well, if you look on a map, it took us ten mile uh, ten minutes to drive there. But that's because we drove around the mountain and ended up almost back where we started. So <laughs> it was it was a pretty fun night, though. But that was uh, that was a, a wonderful introduction to uh, to hunting for them. So <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, I, I could imagine. I'm uh, excited and kind of nervous at the same time when I go to Alaska this year to that's good. That's, be in hey, grizzly. That's the ultimate adventure there, man. Yeah, be in some grizzly country because like right now I just I I had bought a 10 millimeter and I was trying to figure out how because I always carried a 40 with me whenever I go anywhere else. But I was like I wanted a little bit more gun and sure. uh, trying to figure out how to carry it with my bino harness. You know, it's like. I got, you know, everything just stacks, but I want to have it readily available rather than on my, you know. So there's belt. a couple options now. Um, okay. And I know, I know for one, what the harness that you're using, does it have webbing on the bottom? Does it have like the mole webbing? On the- one of them does. I have two separate harnesses. The Sika one okay. I have doesn't, and the marsupial gear one I have does. So check with JC um, Custom Kydex. I think that's, I think that's his handle. Okay. Um, guy out of South Dakota. And I actually picked up one of his, one of his that I, I'm just using on the waist belt on mine, but his new system will actually go underneath your harness, uh, you know, like at the bottom of it, if yeah. it has the molly webbing, it can, it can, it can hook onto that. Oh, I'll um, check that out. There's another one. I, I mean, I'm a Badlands guy. Yeah, they're, they're new harnesses, and they've got four new ones this year that are pretty cool. I've been actually testing out a couple of them. Um, and, and here's the funny thing: I've never been a harness guy, never been a bino harness guy. They they've driven me crazy. They make you sweat too much, and there's you know there's there's too much noise at the moment of truth. If you're in close glass and something, I I want something that I can get that in and out silently. And their new ones have addressed that, but. But yeah, so I, I will definitely be using one this year. Um, but they've got one that's that's really cool that actually hooks in behind the harness. Okay. So it's a it's a real neat system too. So I'd check that one out too. Yeah. No. I I I because I, I bought a regular harness that goes like I figured I could like stack them and make it work, and it's just not the no, greatest. It it's it's, it's a thick, sweet yeah. it's a sweet harness on its own, but it doesn't like you can't it doesn't drop low enough to go below the harness. But then when it's too high, you couldn't really get to it anyways. So it's yeah, like, it's a, it's too uh, awkward an angle. Yeah. Well, and let's face it. It, it, here, here's the funny thing. I, I years ago, I was, I, I, I had a trail cam that I set up on this little water hole and I took my wife in there and my, at the time, one-year-old son. And we went in and set up on this water hole, um, set this trail cam on a water hole. And this was in like May. So it was like way off season. We hike in there and we found two, two mountain lion kills on the way back to this, uh, to this water hole. And my wife's like, um, so you hunt by yourself a lot. You're, you're not hunting here by yourself, are you? I'm like, Oh no, heavens no. Yeah, totally was. Um, <laughs> and she goes, okay, that's fine. You, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind you hunting by yourself, but you've got to have a better plan. What's your plan right now? You know, if you see a mountain lion or an aggressive bear. I'm like, well, I got a bow. I'm a pretty good shot, you know? And she goes, yeah, but what if you stumble upon it and it happens fast? I'm like, faith? (laughs) 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 So anyway, she goes, all right, let's go buy it. Let's go buy a gun. So I went, I I talked to a buddy of mine who's a SWAT, he's a SWAT officer. And I'm like, all right, Fred, 
here's the deal. I need to buy, I need to buy a gun. What, what should I buy? And he goes, okay. And in the most condescending way possible, he goes, what kind of firearms training do you have? I said, well, as you know, I sell furniture. So, you know, I mean, it's pretty extensive what we go through. I have no firearms training. Come on. He goes, <laughs> yeah, buy bear spray. <sighs> Come on. Like, that's not the answer I wanted to hear at all. I got the green light to buy a gun. I'm going to yeah. buy a freaking gun. So I go to Sportsman's Warehouse, and I'm sitting there at the gun counter, and I explain the situation to the guy, and he goes, all right, so what kind of firearms training do you have? And I'm like, listen, did my buddy Fred set you up to this? Because this is bull crap, man. <laughs> so he goes, uh, all right, so tell me this. In three seconds or less, how confident are you you can get the gun out of a holster and get two to three accurate shots on target? And I paused and he goes, buy bear spray. <laughs> so, so I've had, I've had bear spray for years and I've, I've, I've always got it on the waist belt of my pack, but this last year I did buy, I did finally buy, a, I bought a 40. And yeah. so we'll, and I've got that, uh, I've got that, uh, that uh, holster yes. from the side. So, yeah. and Man, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what what actually goes out to the mountains with me this year, but we'll see. Well, yeah, so I've always ran my Ford either on my waist belt or it'll actually fit in the back of my harness because it's so small, and I okay. can I can grab that. Like you know, those like the cell phone yeah. pouch on some mm -hmm. of them, it fits yeah. right in there. So that that has worked. Um, and I've had to draw it twice on bears here in PA just because. What it's it's so thick again. I'll get into these spots usually in the summer, and I accidentally get in between a mother and cubs, yeah. and I've I've had them you know bluff charge me multiple times, and I'm like, don't make me do this. And I got my yeah. hold up, and they're <laughs> like, you know, I the one the closest I got was about ten feet. I mean, she was right there. I was close, and I'm Yikes. like, don't make me do this. And of course, the cubs run up the tree behind me, and I'm just like, so I just slowly back away. I'm like, just don't make me yeah. have to have to have to do this. But the last time I was in Alaska, I did carry bear spray and cause I have a rifle too. So it's like, it's a little bit different, um, with having yeah. that. Um, oh, totally. so I just, I, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I understand that bear spray is probably just as effective, if not more for, you know, being able well, to do it, that. It, it it's just, just sprays such a wider pattern, you know, it's not just one slug going at them, you know, I have the one that like hooks on my bino harness and I could see me like having the nozzle flip the wrong way. It's just like <laughs> hitting it and spraying myself in the eyes. And then I'm just like, all right, take me at this point. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right. I'm right here. I'm well seasoned. I'm God has up. a different plan for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And apparently this is where it ends. I'm better looking from above. <laughs> we, uh, I'll tell you, we, we've had, um, I read a I read a story years ago online. Uh, I think it was on Monster Muley's about a guy who was in his side by side, um, leaving heading back to camp after his morning hunt, and his somehow he had a bump and his his bear spray triggered, and I mean he goes oh my gosh, the pain and discomfort that I experienced in that was beyond description, but. But he did a great job of describing it. It was it was a hilarious story, mostly because you know it didn't happen to me. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's there's a I I haven't I haven't hunted Alaska, 
it's something I'd love to do, but uh, yeah, that's I, I having having dual methods of of bear protection would be probably be a wise thing anyway. Well, yeah, because I, I honestly wasn't thinking about it much because, like, I have a rifle, you know. And I, after I talked to, I interviewed Adam Grenda, who's from Alaska, and he's part mm-hmm. of like that YouTube channel stuck in the rut. And he goes, go watch this video of my wife and brother-in-law where they were brown bear hunting and they shot one and they're gun jammed and it was, and they couldn't get it. And it started, it literally stalked them, came in at them and they had to draw their pistol and end up shooting it with a 454, like really close range. And he's like having backup protection, no matter how good you think your gun is, you just don't know what can happen. Um, you know, you know, especially on a bow hunt, but like, um, yeah. you, just, you just don't know. And that, you know, that kind of stuck in my mind. So whether it's, you know, bear spray or if I end up, and that's the other thing, my brother's a gunsmith. He's a big gun guy and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, I've always been the bow guy kind of thing. So I'm less familiar with that. And he's like, he's funny. He's real stern with me, but he's like, you know, you got that, that holster, you got to figure that out and you need to practice with it. Like we need to get you out there and, and make sure you know how to draw and go through. And he's, you know, he's a hundred percent accurate, but he's just like, don't think just cause you got you this gun that you're foolproof now, you know, dude, the same thing applies to that bear spray. You know, they make the inert bottles so you can get that and practice with that because mm-hmm. truthfully, dude, I've sat there and I've walked through some, some country, you know, late, where you're like, okay, I, we have chased mountain lions through here. <laughs> we have literally chased mountain lions through here. I know there's, there's a couple of dens back here. And I know I am not in a real strong position. <laughs> so I, I've walked through some of those, you know, with that bear spray, like my hand on it, ready to go. But I mean, truthfully, I, I know how it operates. I'm, I'm comfortable with how it operates, but I, I'm going to grab a couple of those inert ones and just, just so I can try that and get used to it. And, you know, it's like anything, like your brother said, I mean, having that gun's cool, you know, and it, it gives you some level of protection, but making sure that you are absolutely competent with it is a, is a whole hell of a lot more important. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I have, I have now, I also have a 22 pistol that I plan on just plinking with. Cause it's something that, you know, shooting, yeah. you know, 10 millimeter all the time isn't as, as uh realistic as just, you know, getting familiar with just shooting pistols more. And it's just, it's helpful. And, and the bear spray thing, I think that's such a good idea because like, sometimes I look at it and it's a very simple system to make it go off, but it, you know, in the moment of truth, if you've never practiced it, how do you know if you're actually going to be able to to do it the way that it's supposed yep. to supposed to happen? Exactly, exactly. It's it it's tricky. I mean, you know, but hey, it's all again. It's that, like I said, you know, it's all about controlling the things you can control and making sure you're prepared for it. That's that's part of it. So yeah, no, and um, well, well. Henry, I apologize for keeping you over that a lot of oh, time that I had said there. I just get, no, you're I, get totally ex- I get excited talking about hunting, and uh, this Same. <laughs> ten- tends to happen uh, more often than not. But people yeah. can uh, people can check out your stuff at uh, Chief Wackabuck on Instagram. Big Chief um, Wackabuck. Big Chief. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Big Chief yeah. Wackabuck. Yeah. 
Um, I'll make sure I put that in the in the show notes there. But also, just give a give a, a pitch for Colorado Bow Hunter Association, which I know you're. Oh, you bet. Active in. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, not only active in it; I've been the chairman for the last two years. So okay, well there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I still think they could have chosen better, um, but you know it's my time to serve. So, but no, we're a we're a a 50 plus year old organization that was started by and still run by passionate volunteers. We don't have a single paid position on our staff. Um, and we work on, we work with Colorado parks and wildlife on season structures, season dates, tag allocations. Um, we work with them on, you know, we've done some work on sheep counts in the past. We just had a, our guy in the Southwest just did a sheep count with his local officer a couple of weeks ago. Um, we were active with our, the Colorado state legislature in working on things like last year, we were able to get uh, something passed that would, will allow hunters education to be taught in schools in seventh grade statewide. So, uh, you know, districts have to opt into that, but, uh, but it's something that, you know, this serves a bigger purpose than just teaching people how to hunt. You know, hunter ed teaches you a lot about wildlife management and can help voters to make more informed decisions later on in life, even if they choose not to hunt. Um, that's kind of stuff that we do a lot of, and we're, we're real active in both of those and have a good reputation at, at, at within both of those organizations. And that's been that's been very effective in helping us to to keep seasons as they should be and make sure that bow hunters are, are represented well. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's incredible. And how, how can people support that if they wanted to support it? Well, I'll tell you what, that's a great time to ask that. We just started a huge giveaway last week um, or actually earlier this week, we've got a couple of um, custom made trad quivers in there. We've got a, a Badlands bow case, we've got some Maven binoculars and a thousand dollar gift card to shields um for people who join so for for us we do we send out six big um full color magazines a year which has updates on you know legislative actions um parks and wildlife actions stuff like that but um also has we you know colorado's lucky we've got some of the best bow hunters in the world that live here and and some of the best tournament shooters as well so we've got a lot of content in the, in the form of articles and hunt stories and stuff like that in their tech articles. And we send out six of those magazines a year as part of your, as part of your uh, membership, um, 40 bucks a year. And you can join by going to coloradobowhunting.org. And it's not the longest web address in the world, but it's in the top five, I think. So, <laughs> so yeah, coloradobowhunting.org. And there's a join us tab and you can just click on that. And for 40 bucks a year, you're a member, but I always encourage people who, you know, I mean, Colorado is kind of the, the playground of the country. I mean, everybody comes out here to hunt. Um, I always encourage people, if you hunt another state, you should join their, their bow hunting organization. Um, you know, just to make sure you've got a voice in things. And I mean, we send out surveys quite often, a um, couple times a year, usually on, on different actions that we're going to, that we think we need to take. And, you know, we're, we're a member driven organization. So if people say, Hey, we need to get, we need to take action on this, then, you know, the surveys will tell us if we need to or not. 
Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that I'm glad you gave the background on that because I learned more than than I knew about it. You know. Yeah. Well. So thank well, you. Well, and all, you know, and every state's got one of these bow hunting organizations, and man, if you're a bow hunter, you need to get involved because I can tell you right now, our 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 rights and privileges are very much under fire. Yeah. And you know, it just takes people. You may not feel like you're the qualified person. I sure as hell felt like that when I stepped on the board, but you know, here I am six years later, six, seven years later. And, you know, it, it's, it's a good organization and these organizations only work if they have people who are willing to put in the work. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Great. Well, thank you, Henry. I appreciate you You coming on and yeah. Thanks for having me, Bo. It's been fun. And this will make Tony Treach happy. So he had, um, I was with him <laughs> last weekend. We were shooting a total archery challenge in Seven Springs, and he was, he yeah. said he was getting mad at me because uh, I was doing too much whitetail stuff and and steered yeah, away from some of the the western stuff. So he's like, <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he's like, I don't want to hear about stupid whitetails anymore. Like, I want I want you to get back to some of the some of your roots. I was like, all right, all right, I got you, Tony. So he'll well, he'll there like you go. Shout out to Tony. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, all right henry well i hope you have a good rest of your day and we will talk to you soon thanks you too take care bro thanks so much for listening to this episode of east meets west hunt with your host bo martonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com facebook at east meets west outdoors and instagram at east meets west hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time